0: Alright everyone, welcome back to the show. First and foremost, I want to say Happy New Year and Merry Christmas to everyone. I did not post an episode last week as I took the week of Christmas off and just had a break from the media and the world in general and just enjoyed the holiday season. So I hope you guys all had a safe and cozy Christmas with loved ones. My name is Noelle. I am your host. This is Just Say No. Let's get into it. With this being the first day of the last year of Biden's first term, I would like to reflect on the last three years, how his administration has done, and what we can look forward to as the election is officially around the corner. I would like to start off by reading a Facebook post that I made back in November of 2020. It was right before the election, and I posted this just... Just trying to get some stuff off my chest, I suppose, and I want it to serve as a reminder that the consequences of electing Uncle Joe were, in fact, predictable as well as obvious. So I figured I'll just read the whole thing and then sort of go through piece by piece and see what did come true and what did not. All right, so it reads, in a world where Biden wins, clearly I had a propensity for the dramatics and I still do. (laughs) Riots will continue without fault. Small businesses that liberals cry so loudly to support will be destroyed. Manufacturing will go back to China. America will no longer be the independent country that we have worked so hard to make it over the last four years and will go back to being dependent on other countries for resources we are fully capable of providing ourselves. What does this mean? Hello, $5 gas. To my younger friends, did you enjoy living on your own? Say hello to your childhood bedroom when you cannot afford rent anymore. You hated 2020? Say hello to the next four years. I understand that you wanted to vote for love and kindness, and I get that you thought that you did, but your uneducated vote might have cost us our livelihoods. You voted for a man who wants money and power and has done nothing but prove exactly that for the last 47 years. What makes you think he would be different for the next four? Okay, so that is the post, and I don't necessarily market myself as a fortune teller per se, but... Clearly, there is some underlining talent here, ladies and gents. Um, So let's dissect this a little bit. As far as riots, while it wasn't always in the name of BLM, riots have certainly continued looting alone has gotten so bad in places such as san francisco that large chains such as starbucks and walgreens have shut down locations in the area stores that aren't closing are taking extreme measures to counteract theft such as locking away products so that shoppers need to get an employee in order to access whatever it is that they're shopping for And looting isn't the only driving force behind these closures either. Some stores have closed in these areas simply because it is just too dangerous for their employees to go into work. Now granted, this isn't necessarily a federal issue. For example, some of the companies shutting down in California have turned their sites to places such as Texas, because what this comes down to is a local crime issue. And it turns out that when you have policies, such as in California, where anything under $950 in theft is a misdemeanor and not a felony, people will be stealing $949 worth of merchandise. That combined with bail reform that tends to let nonviolent offenders go a vast majority of the time while they are waiting for their court date, those criminals tend to go on to rob other stores in the meantime, and this creates a very vicious cycle. So the point being, while this did turn out to be true, I don't know how much of it is totally Biden's fault as much as it is, say, Newsom's. Which is very relevant because if anything were to happen to Biden, we know for a fact that Newsom has his sights set on that seat and we need to look at California good, long and hard before we let him anywhere near the presidency. All right, let's talk about gas prices. This is the part where people like Corinne Jean-Pierre will stand behind the podium and tell you not to believe your lying eyes. You're paying upwards of $3 for gas. Well, you should be thankful because that is a lot better than last year when it was $4. Never mind the fact that in 2019 the national average was about $2.60. But noel, that was 2019. We have had a whole pandemic since then. Is that really fair? All right. All right. All right. Well, how about this? Adjusted for inflation, the national average for the price of gas was over $4 throughout the majority of Obama's eight-year term. And it was less than $3 through the majority of Trump's term. So I will just let you guys feel that one out for yourself. I'm here to present facts. You can do with them as you please. Um, So here's the thing about gas prices is they are dependent on predictive measures, if you will. So for example, when Biden says things such as we're going to end drilling on federal lands, as he did in a 2019 campaign speech, or how he and his administration are constantly talking about moving away from gas vehicles and into electric vehicles, oil and gas companies are going to adjust their prices accordingly. If these companies feel unsure, that they will be able to drill more oil, the prices will naturally increase. Now, I'm not saying that there isn't price gouging. However, telling them that that we will be cutting them off at the knees certainly is not helping anything. And there's also an issue with extreme overregulation, to which Trump eased much of, and the Biden administration restarted, making it extremely difficult for oil companies to drill oil anyways, regardless of the fact that he's sitting there straight up saying that he's not going to allow it furthermore this ties into us being dependent on foreign countries for resources we can get for ourselves such as oil if you'll recall trump had approved the building of the keystone xl pipeline which was an extension of the existing keystone pipeline that comes into the u.s from canada This pipeline extension would have increased the amount of oil produced, refined, and exported in hopes of bringing down costs and increasing American energy independence. In his first few days in office, Biden reverted back to the policy held by Obama and put this to a screeching halt based on environmental concerns, because isn't it always? Meanwhile, he shortly after lifted sanctions on a Russian company in charge of building the Nord Stream 2 pipeline in Europe, because I guess that that pipeline is environmentally perfect because it doesn't benefit the US. So let's recap. Uh, Biden made access to drilling incredibly difficult through added restrictions to leases and permits. He flat out said that he intends to stop drilling in totality on federal lands, promised to move away from gas vehicles and towards electric, the shutting down of local pipelines and essentially greenlighting foreign pipelines. And we all act shocked when it is pricier at the pump. And then we get told that none of this has anything To do with it. Now, I am not saying that this is all of it. I am by no means an expert, not even close. But to have people like the press secretary or the secretary of energy or others in charge tell us that these common sense facts are not a factor at all is simply a load of shit. Let's talk about jobs. So this is one that is such a blatant misrepresentation. It's actually insane how stupid the government officials think Americans are. But worse, how many Americans actually are this stupid is saddening. So under Trump, there was an incredibly steady growth of jobs. In his first 30 months, he created over 5 million new jobs, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. But wait, in Biden's first 30 months, he created over 13 million jobs and this is how they get you, they don't give you the context needed to understand, which is that when Biden took office in 2021, we had just gone through an entire year of forced closures that put millions out of work. So the reality is, is that over 70% of Biden's jobs created are actually just jobs recovered. And while new jobs have been created, we have not returned to the same pace nor trajectory that we were on under Trump. Okay, so those are some of the things that I mentioned in that post. But let's talk about some bonus problems that I did not mention. First of which is war. So unless you came out of the womb yesterday, I presume you recall how every other week under Trump, uh, MSNBC, CNN, and all of the rest were conjuring up some new scary thing that Trump said or did that was going to lead us to World War III. Now, I don't remember World War III happening. In fact, I don't recall... Any new wars under Trump, much less a world war. Actually, what I do recall is peace deals in the Middle East, reducing American presence in the Middle East. An American president in North Korea for the first time ever. Overall, better relations and lessening tensions. But if you have caught on to the game of this episode, let's contrast this with Biden's record to date. Under Biden, there have been not one, but Two full-blown wars. Under Trump, we went over a year and a half without losing a single American in Afghanistan. But because of Biden's disgustingly sloppy pullout, 13 families lost their loved ones in one moment. Now, while Joe Biden is personally responsible for the deaths of those 13 soldiers as our commander-in-chief, did he personally cause the other two wars? Not in such a direct way, but America is a world power and to have such a weak, corrupt and inept man at the helm has certain consequences, war certainly being one of them. People often say that Trump was too wild or unpredictable or irresponsible to to be the leader of a nation, but I and many others believe that it is precisely this reason that Putin didn't invade any foreign nations under him. Trump was the only president under which Putin did not invade a foreign nation because he is unpredictable. Nobody knows what he's going to do. He is a wild card. And again, it can't truly be proven one way or the other if this is because of Trump's perceived strength and willingness to do anything and Biden's inability to remember his own name. But one can speculate. And to be honest, it would be a bet I would be willing to place. Now, another thing I did not mention, but is quite possibly the number one issue for Americans is our border. But before we say a thing, let's take a listen to New York City Mayor Eric Adams say for himself how much illegal immigration is destroying his city, one that he wanted to be a sanctuary city. Of the erosion of the quality of life that we've improved on in such a short period of time of this administration. And we have been impacted uh, for, for many uh, months. We were able to keep the visualization of this crisis from hitting our streets, but we have reached a breaking point. We're no longer able to do that because of the volume and numbers just last week we had 3,900 people that arrived here. We are averaging anywhere from 2,500 to close to 4,000 a week. And if you do the math, you see that's 8,000 every two weeks, potentially 16,000 a month, that we must feed, clothe, house, educate children, and all the services that you would give a normal adult. And we're seeing that play out on our streets of New York. And that is what the breaking point looks like. What he says, they average 2,500 to 4,000 a week. And that is just what's coming into New York City. At certain points at our southern border, they are averaging that a day. It is simply unsustainable. And Adams is not the only Democrat changing his tune. Let's take a listen to Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson echoing the same message. Chicago, anywhere else in the country, um, the public good is already stressed. Um, whether it's our transportation system, our healthcare system, our education system—you know—all of these systems are already stretched um, to meet the, the, the demands of families who um, have been here. Um, you know, over the past seven months, it's been uh, an incredible, an incredible strain on every aspect of of city service. But let's not get this twisted. Democrats only recently started acknowledging the border crisis. For the last several years, people like the perpetually brain-dead AOC put forth messages like this. So often people want to say, why aren't you talking about the border crisis? Or why aren't you talking about it in this way? Well, we're talking about it. They just don't like how we're talking about it. Because it's not a border crisis. It's an imperialism crisis. It's a climate crisis. The ability to twist things and turn them into a non issue when they are a massive issue is completely beyond me. The entire point is that, like gas prices, food prices, crime, or even the COVID vaccine for this matter, they lie to our faces and they call us conspiracy theorists when we call them liars. And then six months to a year later, when they are saying what we had said all along, they deny having ever lied about it. Here are the facts. Trump had implemented the stay in Mexico policy, which essentially said people seeking asylum could stay in Mexico while their asylum was being granted, which is a safe third-party country. The thing I do not think people realize is the majority of the migrants are not coming from Mexico. They're coming from places like Guatemala and passing through Mexico to get here. So the stay in Mexico policy allowed the U.S. to process these asylum seekers in a safe and manageable way. And following the theme of this episode, this was another day one policy reversal from Joe Biden. And look at where we are today. I think the border is one of the biggest sites of hypocrisy. Look at the Obamas screaming for human rights, letting people in, and when DeSantis very graciously put 50 migrants on a plane and sent them to one of the nicest locations in our country, Martha's Vineyard, a place so nice, the Obamas call it home, there was an uproar. We want them in your part of the country, not ours. This is why we have a gated community, they yelled as they watched the reality of their policy choices flood their elitist community. And Just as an aside, because it isn't very often that I get to casually bring up the Obamas and Martha's Vineyard, but can someone please explain to me how people who holler about climate change, melting ice caps, and rising sea levels purchased a home on the seafront? Morons. Morons. But y'all, here is the bottom line. Are you better off today in 2024 than you were in 2018? The average person is not. Basic items such as food, gas, housing have all gone up so starkly over the last couple of years that it's nearly unmanageable for millions of people in our nation. I'm not sitting here saying that it is 100% all Biden's fault, but I am saying that some of it is. And I personally liked things better with the Cheeto Puff in charge. Now, this is not to say that Trump is my first choice because he is not. But the odds are that he will be the nominee. And I liked my life better with him. And I think more people agree with that statement than would care to admit. And I think more people would want to gamble on Trump than Biden. But tune in this time next year and we'll find out together. All right, y'all, that is all that I have for you guys today. This is a little bit of a shorter episode. Um, I'm getting back into the swing of things after the holiday season, so just bear with me a little bit. My goal is currently to hopefully by February or March add a visual component to the podcast, so stay tuned and we will see about that. When I do start doing that, you'll be able to find those videos on my YouTube channel at Noel Poulin. And all of my other social medias will be linked down below in the details. And if you guys wouldn't mind giving this show a rating, it would really, really help me out. And uh, follow the show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening. That would be fantastic. Hope you guys have a wonderful first week of 2024. And we will chat next Monday.